highlight one, a fun opportunity, just something neat that we could do together. In August, uh, Arvest Ballpark, the Naturals team here hosts a Faith and Family Night. Seems like a good excuse for us to just go as a church and watch a baseball game together and you could bring friends. Uh, and so the way that this works, it's in the bulletin, you can read about it inside, but uh, this, this next weekend, you've got this week to decide because next weekend that registration closes. So if you have any interest at all in going, uh, Jenna and I are going to be your hosts that night in this sense. Uh, Jenna and I will be the ones standing outside the gate with your tickets. And so when, when you come in, we're going to be there greeting you, and we're going to have your tickets. Uh, so uh, we're really invested in this. We just think it would be fun to have people together. Uh, so take opportunity of that if you'd like this week uh, before that registration closes. There's a lot of other uh, really important, maybe much more spiritual uh, opportunities coming at you in the next month, too. Uh, and we're going to talk about a few of those in the next few weeks uh, as we get towards the fall and get back into the rhythm, the regular rhythm of life, get into the rhythm of having our small group communities meeting. We've got uh, our heart sisters groups that are a wonderful uh, ladies small group setting that happens at this church. And so next week and the weeks after, we'll talk a little bit about those as well. But maybe uh, some social time would be a good way to kick off the fall. Uh, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll dive in. Bow with me. Father, we are grateful to you for um, allowing us to worship in this way as we have today. Uh, we are humbled whenever we uh, come into a time of singing and of communion, and we are renewed in our spirit. God, before we've even um, been here for a half an hour this morning, we have been renewed in our spirit uh, by worshiping together. And, and we know that this is uh, pleasing to you. And we pray that the sacrifices of our hearts, the things that we offer from inside out, uh, the way that we make decision of, about you and about Christ in our hearts, and then how that shows up in our life through the way that we serve others, through the way that we show hospitality, uh, through the way that we enjoy fellowship together, that those things would be pleasing to you. Uh, like a sweet smell to you, and that you would take pleasure as you see your people uh, doing your will on earth. And we do pray, God, that you'll help us to do your will, and that at times when we fail and we break down and we, we uh, are sinful instead of holy, God, we pray for your forgiveness. We pray that you'll show mercy over us. We know that even though we are your church, that we are uh, not yet perfect. You give us a right standing, but we still fail. And so we pray that you would strengthen us, that you would give us conviction, and that you would help us to be holy as you are holy. Uh, we know that's your desire for your church, and we pray that you would help us in it. And God, as we talk a little bit more this morning about this one passage of Scripture and the teachings in it for us, we pray that you'd open our minds and our hearts to it. God, we thank you, we honor you, we love you, and all of this we ask in Jesus' name, and all who agree, say, Amen. Okay, so we are uh, continuing in our series about hospitality this morning. And so, uh, as Donovan previously mentioned, there is a hospitality opportunity today. If you're a guest or a newcomer and you haven't had a chance to come to our newcomer's lunch, we'd love to invite you. Uh, it takes place at 1130 in our activity center. So that's the building right across the street, the gym, the activity center. You come right over there, 1130, and that's where we'll be hosting that lunch. We'd love to get to know you. Uh, so... As we dive into today's scripture in Matthew 25, we're going to see um, three things that we can learn from it, 
There may be a lot more things that we could learn from it, but uh, these three build on each other and they're useful to us no matter where we are at in our faith. And so let's start here. Uh, This is critical to the series that we've been doing, that we serve Christ when we make room for others. And so as we've been discussing hospitality, this is not merely a human function that we do. This is a way of serving Jesus. This is part of the way that we make room for Christ in our own hearts is when we serve others in love. And I want you to see how Matthew 25 shows us that principle in another way. Read with me here. Follow along with me. Uh, and if you want to fill in those blanks in your bullet and you can, here's, here's these key words. Uh, Jesus said this uh, about a future setting in which he would be judging, how did your life go? How did the lives of people go? So he says this, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And look at the response of the people. Uh, And this should give us a clue. As we get near the end of today's message, we're going to discover who is he speaking to. But this should give us a clue about who he is speaking to. It says the righteous ones. So first of all, we know that they're, they're righteous. But they reply. And look at the reply. They say, Lord, when did we ever see you? Notice they, they aren't even aware that they have encountered Christ. Not in the way that, that he's describing. They say, Lord, when did we ever see you? This seems to be people or a person or whoever who doesn't even realize fully that they had been accepted or welcomed or that they were expected to see the Lord. They seem to think in some way that they have been held back or told they weren't part of. They, they haven't been living with this expectation where they say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I know Jesus. You know, him and I are thick as thieves. I know him really well. In fact, uh, there's some religions in the world. There have been some times when Christianity has functioned this way or acted this way wrongly, where you're told that to get to God, you have to go through a human mediator. You have to go through a priest or something. And it seems like maybe these people don't even realize that they had direct access to Jesus. So they say, Lord, when did we ever see you? And look at the conditions. And they repeat it. When did we see you hungry and feed you? Thirsty and give you something to drink? A stranger and show you hospitality? Naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you, Lord, sick or in prison and visit you? And so the Bible does some really neat things whenever it repeats. You're reading this, and if you're doing your daily Bible reading, you read this, and you read Jesus says, you know, all of these things you did, and the people repeat it all back to him, and then Jesus says it again, we won't read it this morning, but again, to the people who didn't do these things, he says, you didn't feed me, clothe me, you know, visit me and all of that. And then they say again, when did we not feed you, clothe you? And so it gets repeated four times. All of these items, this whole list gets repeated four times. And when the Bible does that, when it repeats something that many times, it's a clue. It's like a flashing neon sign that says, pull over here and slow down and check this out. Four times repeated. That means you should understand that this whole passage hinges on, it balances on you understanding that these practical things, 
This is what God expects of us. This is what faith should produce in us when we love God, that it turns into these kind of practical applications. And so the king will say to them, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. That's how you encountered me when you offered these things to people. And I think that your life experience, as well as mine, will help you understand what Jesus means when he says, you did it for the least of these, and so you did it for me. How many of you in the room have ever experienced, because you're a parent or a grandparent, and you've ever experienced the kindness of another person who invested in your child or your grandchild, a coach, a youth minister, a particularly loving aunt or uncle who spent time investing in your child, and this is what often a parent will say when someone loves their child. They say that there is no better way that you could serve me than loving and serving my child because a parent loves their kid and wants to see them succeed and wants to see them cared for and given good guidance. And there is nothing you can do that makes a mom or a dad or a grandparent more happy than when you treat their grandchildren or their children right. Because when you treat their little ones they're least of these, right? They're little people in their family with respect and with love. You treat them with respect and with love. And the, just last night I was driving through town and I saw uh, on, a, on the back of a van and it was like a big van, like one of those panel vans with the windows and the curtains in it. And on the back of it were these little uh, stickers. And you've seen these probably where people will put two big stickers and then little ones for the children, right? So his mom and dad are represented by the big stickers and the little ones are the children. Have you ever seen this? You have ever seen this? So you can tell immediately what somebody's interest is by what kind of stickers they use. Uh, and by the way, they say don't do this because then people know how many kids you've got and stuff. So this might not be a great idea. But uh, you'll see like two uh, Star Wars Jedi uh aircraft or spacecraft or whatever, like two X-wing fighters and then a whole bunch of little X-wing fighters. And that means like, that's how many kids we've got. Well, these were the little Christian fish, the little symbol, like the ichthus, right? The little fish. And there was two big ones and there were 10 little fishes after it. And I was like, man, somebody has a lot of opportunity to bless that family, right? Because all the least of these that some, you cannot parent, you know, without some community help. You can't, well, I guess you can, but it might be better with community help. You can't, grandparent, you don't feel sufficient and complete, and it doesn't feel quite right until when other people start to love your kids too and serve them too. And then it's like the kingdom of God breaking through in that little way. This is what Jesus means when he says you serve the least of these. Anybody in Jesus' kingdom who you serve, Anybody that you help reach for his kingdom is someone that Jesus says, that makes me feel loved. It makes me feel loved. And he's got a whole lot more than 10 little fishes, guys. Billions upon billions of little tiny stickers that he'd like to add to the back of his van that you get a chance to serve. Look at how, um, look at how this teaches us that God is deeply invested in creating people, that's us, the people of God, who show generosity and hospitality. This is what he's invested in. And look at how practical these things are. All Jesus is saying is we're talking about hunger and thirst and shelter and clothing and medicine and companionship. This could be the, the hierarchy of needs. 
philosophers, you know, have this hierarchy of needs and they say these are what a person needs to have a successful, happy life. Jesus addresses all of those. He says, church, go and help in these areas when you see them. Okay. And so, uh, as we discussed a week ago, we're thinking this month about how can we do this in a practical way. And so just wrapping up this first point this morning, this first level of the text where God wants us to do things for people that meet practical needs. We know that the reason we come together is to worship. This is why we gather as church, and I commented on this last week. And there are ways that you can serve and be involved in this. Uh, Todd has blessed us today with singing. Leon blessed us with a communion message. And so there's ways to serve here, uh, but also some of us serve in education. So we have Bible classes for adults and children for all ages, and that's a way you can serve. This is where you get to disciple people. You get to help them learn about Christ and the great truths of Scripture. But what is it that supports those things? What helps those find success? And the way that we show hospitality, even in these few minutes on Sunday morning, is a supporting, foundational uh, way of making those other two things more successful and useful for the kingdom of God. Why is this? Why and how do we know that hospitality is so foundational to the rest of our mission? Well, this is one insight that shows us why. Nelson Searcy, a researcher about churches in the United States, has written that in the first seven minutes of contact with your church, seven minutes, your guests will know whether or not they're coming back. And think about what that means. They haven't even gotten to the singing service in seven minutes. They've had a chance to park, come in the door, and find a seat. Hopefully, that takes seven minutes. Now, some, re some researchers say it's like they make a decision in three minutes, and some say ten. But all of the researchers... The whole range of their answers always averages out to right about six or seven minutes. So before you've even started to sing or take communion or preach a gospel message, people are deciding if they feel comfortable and welcomed. And so it's incredibly foundational to the other things we do. And this month, as we're giving our church an opportunity to pray and think about it, one response you might make this morning is that you might go on our website, bentonvillechurch.com, and you might fill out our volunteer form that says, I want to serve in hospitality with the Bentonville congregation. And if you do that, uh, there's several things we want you to know or to consider because we, we don't necessarily need like 150 people to say, yeah, I'll make that my ministry. Because we've already got people serving in ministry in worship and in education. And you don't want to overbook everybody or double book everybody or wear everybody out. And so if you, this is a clue, if you've been looking for a way and you say, it's hard to figure out how I can serve here, why not start with hospitality? And as you build some relationships and get to know more people, maybe some of those other opportunities to serve in teaching or in worship will present themselves, but you could serve soon by getting involved in hospitality. And here's three things that we would want you to think about before you fill out the form. And you can write them down if you want, but they're all C's. They're easy to remember. They're commitments, communicate, and covenant. And here's what they mean. We don't want you to just sign up on the whim. We'd like you to pray about it and decide, uh, make a commitment that you're willing to add about 30 minutes to your Sunday morning, that you would be willing to come in before the service of your choice 
and spend about that extra 30 minutes meeting with the team and praying and then deploying and going and doing hospitality. Okay, so it is a commitment. And we also would like you to commit to coming to the volunteer training that will be offered in August. So if you're not sure about really making a commitment, then don't do this yet. But if you are, if you're ready to commit, then we'd invite you to. And communicates the second one. We're going to be having a lot of volunteers cycle through this program. And so if you're willing to respond to emails and you're willing to communicate with the team that's organizing it, that would be another clue that this is for you. Okay, if you say, I just, I don't do that, I don't communicate well, well then pray about it. And the third one is covenant. We want you to consider that, that serving our guests is part of a covenant relationship with the Father to serve the least of these and to serve His people. And if you feel like those describe your desire to serve, then you should go on the website and fill out the form. And this is what it'll look like on the website. I circled it there in red. There's the guest team form. And right next to it is the baseball where you can click and, and, and get the baseball tickets. But the one circle, that's your guest team. You'd go on there and you'd fill out a little survey that looks like this. It's easy. It'll take you about two minutes. But we want you to think about the commitment first. Okay, let's move on from there. You've got, you've got a week and a, and a couple days. This form will come down after the end of the month. So you've got a week and a couple days to pray about it and think about it. But let's move on from there. And we want to talk about something else this passage does for us. And that is this. This teaching of Jesus really challenges us in a cultural way. In our American culture, in which in our American culture, there are so many good elements. We enjoy so much freedom, and yet sometimes we allow our culture to define what we think God expects of us. And so this passage of Jesus' teaching undermines two ways, and I want you to see them. The first one is this. This is a lie that we begin to believe, and it hurts us. We say, I don't need the church. And I, I lived in a time and a place where I thought this way. I thought, I don't really need the church community because I've got a relationship with Jesus and I work it out in private ways. And so how many times have you heard someone that you love say this? They, they, lo they love God or they say that they love God, but they say, I don't need the church. How many of you on the inside right now are thinking, I have someone on my heart this morning that I pray for and I wish that they love the people of God, but they say, I don't need the church. I've got a private faith. Well, here is what Jesus is saying about that. Jesus, by asking us to serve people's needs, is calling us to community. Okay, and the rest of the scriptures will back this up. Hebrews 10, we're familiar with this. It says, don't give up meeting together. Don't stop meeting together because God knows that there's good things that happen when we get together. But Jesus challenges us and calls us to come to community. And why? Because he says, when you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. And that can't happen in private. This is something that you can't accomplish for Christ. You can't make room for this call of Christ in your life from a private home setting. You have to engage with people. It takes some courage. Because people will you know, disappoint you and break your heart. But it takes some courage to be plugged into a church community. It takes boldness to go and say, I, through the ups and the downs and the hurts and, and the joys, that I will commit to the people of God in a local church family and serve those people like brothers and sisters. And Jesus says, when you do this, you're doing it for me. Here's, here's what's really underneath that cultural 
opinion though. Okay, what is foundational to? Because underneath the I don't need church is this, this idea that I'm spiritual and not religious. And you guys, I've said this before too, and now and so let's work through it together. Because I've said it in the wrong way, and I think I've said it in the right way. And maybe you've done the same. Maybe you've said this in a way you regret. And maybe there's a sense in which you still mean it. But what do we mean when we say, I'm spiritual, not religious? Well, in our culture, what we often mean is that religious people go to church Religious people are rude. Religious people are, you know, more concerned about following rules than they are about love and about people. I don't want to be religious. I want to be spiritual. But the truth is, is that this is often an excuse to say, I don't want to engage in the ups and the downs of real relationship with people. And so if I say that I'm spiritual and not religious, that, that's the groundwork that supports me not needing to plug into community. I will have a private faith. In a private home, it'll be more spiritual than religious. And in a way, all of us who have ever said this or who say it this morning are acting more pious and holy than all of the people who do go into broken communities and understand that it's broken and put up with it anyways. Because we're saying, you know, well, I'm just above that and better than that. And and spiritual can be a really dangerous, highfalutin kind of thing to say. And so I want to say this about it. Is there any truth in this? And I would say yes. I also want to be more spiritual than religious, but this is why. My reason for saying that is because when we are more religious than spiritual, we become legalists. You see, when we become more, and this is the challenge from the culture, this is the the thing that the culture sees. They see that sometimes we become more concerned about rules, and they say that's more religious than spiritual. And do we want to be that way? No. Jesus warns us, don't tie up loads, in other words, make rules, and put them on the shoulders of men, and then not help them carry them. Do not be like that. Because when our religion gets further than the Spirit of God in us, we become legalists. But what we desperately want is to be more spiritual than religious in this sense. That the Spirit of God is so powerfully present in us, compelling in our life, showing up in our hospitality, that the Spirit is literally leading me. That the Spirit is out in front. And that I've got my eyes on Christ and I'm following the Spirit. So my religion is always trying to keep up with where God is leading and so, yes, I know some the things about church and some of the rules or the morals that help make life right and that help me follow God. But like Galatians 5 says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Amen, church? Amen. And so in that sense, but in that sense only, I want to be more spiritual than religious. Jesus' spirituality is wildly practical. It will lead us into places where we need true courage. It will lead us to feed and clothe and shelter people and to put up with people in community in ways we never thought we were capable of. Finally, this passage declares the sovereignty of Christ. If there's anything that those of us who have been Christians for a number of years need to review and remember, whether it's because we are suffering, because we are lonely, because of heartbreak, or in times of great confidence and joy, 
We need to remember and feed on the sovereignty of Jesus. That He alone can meet these needs. He can meet these inadequacies. When we try to do something hospitable and it fails, He's the only one that can fill in that hole and make us whole again. He is the only one who's all-sufficient. He's the only good host. He's the only one who does for the least of these what ought to be done every single time. And so Jesus' sovereignty is explicit in this passage. And it's in these ways. First of all, Jesus comes in the passage and He says, that he's a sibling. And a lot of times that's where we want to stay with Christ. Look at he says, the least of these my brothers and sisters. And so Jesus says, I'm their friend and I am their sibling. But so often it is a temptation for those who love God to stop there and to act as if Jesus is best friend, but that that's all he is. And we forget that he's also king. And this passage is remarkable in that it is the first place in Scripture and the only place in the Gospels that comes right out and says that Jesus is King. It's the first place that happens. Look at this. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and you notice what He calls Himself at first. Son of Man. Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title for Himself. It basically means this. It means He's a human person. And maybe an ideal one. Like He's a good representative of what the human race is. But it also means in his place, in his setting, that he comes with a humble and serving heart. It's a very humble title for the Son of God to use about himself. N.T. Wright, a Bible scholar, says what this means is he's the truly human one. And the one who embraces humility as he is that. So when the Son of Man comes, but look at what he says next. In his glory and all of the angels with him. And then he will sit on his glorious throne. And so he's painting this picture now of the destiny of Christ, of his own sovereignty. And this has been building in the book of Matthew up to this point. Remember, he says this in chapter 25. And in chapter 16, he had alluded to it in this way. He said, the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And you'd think those disciples must be scratching their head a little going, what does he mean he's going to come with his angels in the glory of, of the Father? And in chapter 19, Jesus had said, the Son of Man, uh, in, when the world is made new, the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne. And they must be scratching their heads going, where is he getting this glorious throne idea from? Well, here's where it comes from. In the Old Testament, there's several passages, but this one in particular that would have resonated to a Jewish hearer in Zechariah 14.5 where it says this about God. You will flee through this valley. It will reach across to Azale. Yes, you'll flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. And you're asking, who is fleeing and why are they fleeing? In this case, it's the people of God because of the terrible judgment coming on them because they didn't obey God's commands and they're fleeing. And then there's this line. It says, then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. And when Jesus in this passage says that he's coming in glory, he's alluding to that passage. He says, do you understand that's about God? And here I am coming to fulfill it in the place of God. And he says, when that happens, all the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people 
like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. At this time in history, they would keep the sheep and the goats together in the fields. But here's a funny thing that I didn't know about goats, but all of the commentaries claim it. And maybe you can test this if you've got a farm with animals. And maybe you can see if this is true. They say the goats need more warmth at night than the sheep. The sheep do better out in the air. The goats need to be more in a pen where it's warm. And so they would separate them at night for that. But Jesus uses this as a picture that they understand of what the separation will look like. And he'll place the sheep at his right hand, a place of honor, and the goats at the left. Okay, And so he's going to separate them. He says this is done in front of all nations. Why would Jesus say that? Surprising to the Jewish people. Or maybe insulting to the Jewish people who think they are the nation of God. And they're forgetting that God called them to be a light to all nations. To show radical hospitality to all nations. Jesus is building up towards the climax at the end of Matthew. This is the mission statement of our congregation. And it's the mission statement of the church throughout the world. Did you ever notice the way Jesus words this? It ties back to chapter 25. He says, first he says, I've been given all authority on heaven and on earth. And he says, go and make disciples from all the nations. Because someday, they will be the audience at which I'm going to look at them and I'm going to say to them, some of, some of you from the nations go to my right, a place of honor. And some of you go to my left because you never did this. You never got this. And when he judges the nations, guess whose responsibility it was to go to them? It was ours to go to them. Why did they say, Lord, we never, we never even saw you? Uh-oh. Why did they say, Lord, we didn't even know that we saw you hungry and thirsting in prison? Because it's a clue that these people, surprisingly to the Jews listening, that the people that Jesus is talking about at the last day includes the whole world, includes every nation, not just the people of Israel. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And brothers and sisters, this is our calling and it relies on the sovereignty of Jesus. He gives us this promise. And we want to extend and share this promise with you today. Whether you've been a Christian for years and years and years, or whether your faith has slipped some and you want to, you want to get back in the game, or whether you've never made a decision for Christ and you've never put Him on in baptism. This is the promise that at the end of the, at the, end of the days, at the end of time, Jesus is going to encounter all of us and He's going to say this, and then the King, the Sovereign King, will say to us, to those on His right, if we were faithful to Him, come, you who are blessed by My Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. God had this destiny in mind for you from before He made all things that you could be saved if you would step into this mission with Him. This is why we love with radical, practical ways and with great generosity and hospitality. If we can serve you today, Will you share with us any prayer requests or needs? We have some elders in the back and some who will be up front. And you can meet with them as we stand together and sing this song of invitation. Over all the earth you reign on high. Every mountain stream, every sunset.